Father in heaven, on this week that we remember what Jesus has done for us, we thank you. Uh, We love Palm Sunday. We hate the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of betrayals, of trials, of accusations. We hate that We hate that the Savior was alone, that his best buddies abandoned him, that his family uh, wasn't close. We hate Thursday and Friday and Saturday because that's the death of Jesus and the burial, and it seems like it's all lost. And yet we love the, the new hope that is ours in Christ because of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And that tells us not only did he pay for our sins, but that tells us that he is triumphant over the biggest challenge of life, which is life itself. And if he can beat that by coming back from the dead, then he can beat anything in our lives. So we honor Christ. We revere him today. May we follow him in our hearts and in our agendas and in our motives and in our words. And then because we've trusted Christ, Lord, and because we've allowed him into our lives, we thank you for the work that you give to us and the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes in to live in us, to be our teacher and our guide into all truth. And I pray that's what he would be for us now, a guide to all truth. To not only convict us where we're wrong, but to to bring us to this point of, of sure joy when we know we're walking in step, right in step with you. That's what we want. And Lord, may this week, as we... Um, Learn of our, our own waywardness. May you prompt our hearts to confess the sin early and often and to draw close to you and to honor you. Just moments of prayer, moments of prayer walks in the community, moments where we set aside a meal, for instance, and just cut out a meal so we can pray for our families. Um, take a, a time one evening just to honor you with the reading of your word and asking, Lord, that our community would be transformed, somehow changed, um, to begin to look like the way Jesus lived and to believe on our Lord. And together may we as your people, may, may we be so connected to Christ that when people see us, may they feel the, the sense of not only justice and righteousness, but of, of walking embodiment of, of love and light and of healing that Jesus brings. May that be our mission, no matter what our jobs are, no matter what our our places in life. May that be really our agenda. We pray in Christ's wonderful name. We pray these things. The church says, amen? Amen. 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 So we're in a series called Mind Matters. This is week number seven, and this is the the last week. Next week, we're going to start a new series uh, for Easter. It'll be wonderful. Book of John, don't want to tell you too much, because you won't come back. It's going to be great, though. So this is the mind series, and in the series, I want to talk to you about, about, about mind-boggling. Here's the, here's the way the story goes. <clears throat> so a guy's not feeling well, and uh, people tell him, you know, you, you seem to be not speaking or thinking clearly. You're not thinking through things, and you're, just, you're kind of cloudy about your thinking. And his family tells him that. People at work tell him that. So he goes into the doctor, and he says, Doc... I don't know what the deal is. I, I just have a problem, and I can't even think of what it is. Oh, yeah, it's stuff that I, I forget stuff. And uh, what else is I I don't remember stuff either. And then I forget other stuff, and I just don't even care. And then the doctor says, well, let's take a look at you. So he starts to take a look at you. And uh, 
He said, well, tell me about other things about your life. Are you sleeping? Are you eating? Uh, what's your energy level like? He said, well, frankly, I don't feel very good. You don't? No, I don't feel good. He said, I feel like I could just curl up. I want to take a blanket to work. I just don't feel good. And then if I stay home, if I call in sick or take a day off or take a weekend, I just, I can lay on the couch all day and I still don't feel better at the end of the day having napped all day. I, I, just, I don't get any energy back. But I, I don't feel, and I don't know what's the matter with me because I don't feel very optimistic either. And the, and the doc looks at him and says, how about colds and flus? You had the shots? I've had the shots, but I, I still get the colds and the flus, and I can't figure out what the deal is. So the doctor says, let's run a few more tests. And as he zeroes in, he, he's thinking, this isn't just a mind issue. This isn't just a cloudy thinking issue. There's something else going on. So they run some scopes, and they do some things, and they tilt the guy back. You've been on that. Everybody's been on one of those half-padded, half beds in the doctor's office with, with a, a wide roll of toilet paper on it, right? <laughs> Everybody been there? And, you know, then they have you lay on that thing, and then you go, who was on this before me? You ever ask that question? Like, I want to rip a new one off, and I want fresh paper at least, you know. That was an amen moment, if ever there were one. I'm not laying my head where the greasy guy's hair was, you know. So, some of you are repulsed by that, but this is just starting. This is, we have a long way to go. <laughs> so he tilts him back. He says, we're going to run a few more tests. And then he says, by the way, what's your wife's phone number? He, says, he gives the number of home. I don't want your home now. I want, your, I want her cell. Oh, why do you want her cell? Because I need to bring her in. I'll go get her. I'll get, no, you're not getting in the car. They take a few pictures of this guy, and they, they do a few more things. They say, you're not getting up. Well, I'll drive home and I'll make an appointment and come back. You know, we're going to the hospital now. I've called an ambulance. What? I've called an ambulance. It's on its way. Well, I, I'll go home and get some clothes. No, you're not getting in the car because you, 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 you don't understand. You have a blockage in your heart. You're a bomb waiting to go off. And we need to get you in now. Well, I have a golf game later today. I really don't want to play anyway, but I, I, I should, certainly I have stuff to do and I've got to wash the car. Mold it. No, you're not mowing the yard today. You're not washing the car. And then you begin to realize this is serious stuff. If you know anything about open heart, there's two ways they do that. Both of them are humiliating. Uh, one is they cut you open, then they take a hacksaw, which I think is a, an, the oldest, rustiest saw they can find. And they, they cut that open, open you up, pull the heart out. Another way they do it, it's a little more modern. They, they cut in through your leg and run a lawn hose right up your body. And I know, I'm telling you, see, it's getting better. They go into the heart and they realize, and you come out of surgery and they say, well, you have a couple of clogs. One was 60% clogged, and this one, we don't even know how it was operating. It was 80% clogged. And so we've cleaned all that out. Now, there's calcium buildup in the heart. and in, uh, The heart's an involuntary muscle. You know this, right? Your heart just beats without you telling it to beat. It just beats, beats, beats. And you, when you're watching NCAA basketball, you don't say, beat faster, beat faster. No, it just beats faster. You don't have to think about it. The other things you have to think about, your heart just keeps beating. And because it, of that, it, it's taking all your blood, but it's taking this calcium and it builds up. And then what happens is those those passageways that were clear, they get clogged with calcium and, they, and just like 
the drain in your kitchen sink, it starts to clog, it starts to clog, and then you need a roto-rooter. And that's really what that lawn hose is. It comes up through the leg. They'll put a little spinner out there with a little blender, a little mixer on the end of it. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. And it, it just whips and it knocks it off. And it takes all that calcium, all those chunks, and then they have to catch them quickly before they go to your brain or you'll have a stroke and then you'll have to move into your kid's basement for the rest of your life. Think about that. And so they catch most of the pieces and then set you back up again. Now, after all that trauma, whenever I see open heart uh, people, they always want to show me like, I got to show you this scar. They start undressing. Please stop, stop, stop. Stop that right now. Or they tell me some horrific thing. Like oftentimes when they open the heart, they'll take another piece of tissue from like the leg. And the guy will go, the heart's nothing. What they did to my leg, that hurts. You know, and they'll talk things like that. But inevitably, here's what happens. I'll say to them, after they're done telling me their trauma story of open heart, they'll say this, almost 100%. I have never felt better. You cannot imagine how much more energy I have. You cannot believe. I never, I've not been this perky since I was in my 20s. I... I'm thinking creatively. I'm thinking differently. I'm more optimistic. And I, I sleep better. I eat better. I'm, I, and I can fight off the colds more. I, everything about me, I'm annoyingly happy. I am so, I'm giddy. My heart is so clean and clear. I, I can't believe it. That's what they say. And I say to you, in the Mind Matters series, Christians, when you come to Jesus Christ, he not only cleans out the heart, he gives us a new heart, a brand new start. I mean, this is all over again. It starts up again. And so I say to you, what's happening inside of your head has a bit to do with what's happening inside of your spiritual heart. Because when you get a new heart, now it can, you see, the, the blood that pumps through the heart is pumping oxygen. And that's why people who are having close to the heart thing, their extremities are cold. Why? Because it, it can't get enough blood moving. You can't fight immunity by it because you can't get enough blood moving. So the nutrients aren't getting where they need to be, and the organs don't operate like they should. You don't have the energy, the muscle mass, and everything from bone, marrow, lungs, oxygen, the whole bit. It doesn't work well if the heart doesn't work well. And what does God do in Jesus Christ, he gives you a brand new heart. So then that revives everything about you. So my point is, and this is, could be a whole message, this is mind-boggling when you think about it. It's the believer in Jesus Christ who has the potential to be the most imaginative, most creative, most energetic, most optimistic person on the face of the earth. Could be the best inventor, problem solver, socioeconomic developer, could be the, the best social scientist in the world. Why is that? Because they have a new heart, and because they have a new heart, it gives to them new flow to the brain, and because that flow to the brain wipes out all the bad conscience feels, all the guilt and all the load of that, because of that, you have a whole lot more energy for creativity and for productive energy. See, and that's why when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 3, he, he writes, Unto him 
who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or, what's it say, class? Imagine what you think, what you could imagine. He's saying, I can top that. But he gives you a new heart so you can imagine more and more and more. Why? Because you have the, you have the room to do that now. See? It's unto him that gives you more than you can even ask or imagine according to not your own power, but the power of him that's at work in you. See, it's according to that power at work within us. Unto him be the glory to the church and to Jesus Christ through all generations. Well, so my, my big idea today is of all people on the face of the earth, Christians can be the best problem solvers. Why? You have a new heart, which gives you a rejuvenated brain, which changes the blood flow to your, your spiritual life totally, allows you to think in ways that were not possible to think before. And if ever there were a downer week, this would be the week, if you have a Bible, go with me to Philippians 2. If you have a downer week, this would be the week because this is the week where Jesus is left and betrayed and left alone. He does, is not... Uh, his friends abandon him. The court goes against him. He goes through a kangaroo series of, of uh, court cases. All of that fails miserably. And that is all part of God the Father's plan in order for Jesus to be betrayed and left alone upon the cross. And then he would pay for our sins. And if ever there were a reason for you to be negative, this would be the week. And what does God do? He takes the most gosh-awful week in all of human history and he follows it with the very best week we will ever know, which is the week of the resurrection. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort of his love, from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tender mercies and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded. There it is. Having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind. There it is again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility uh, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There it is again. It all has to do with what's the, the game in your head. You get this? You win that game in your head, and you'll, you'll conquer the world. And what's Paul saying? He said you need to have the mindset of Christ. And what is that? He explains it in verse 6. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God uh, something to be used of his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That would be a criminal's way of dying. Therefore, verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at, every, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This week is the week that we don't want to have because we don't want our Savior hurt. We don't want his reputation damaged. 
We, we don't like the idea of a bloodshed death, and yet this week makes Easter possible. The very worst week of human history makes the week of huge victory absolutely possible. The resurrection only happens because we have an obedient Savior, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, by the word and the directive of the Father who's in heaven. He takes our sin and he pays the penalty of that sin. And then does he get the benefit of that? No, he does not because he, he didn't ever sin. So why would he do this? He did that to pay our penalty and then we get the benefit. I was covered in sin and shame, we sang. I had mercy call on me. And it, so we sing, amen, amen, I am alive. Why? Because, because he lives. This is the week that makes Easter very possible, and so we exalt Christ to the highest point because we honor his sacrificial love, his obedience to the Father who's in heaven, that he cared enough to stay on course for our salvation. So what kind of attitude should we have? Well, here we go. Three really simple things. Of all of the believers in the world, we're the ones, the believers are the ones who should be, number one, the most considerate of all people. Verse 2 Make my joy complete by being like mine. Just learn to get along. Having the same love, you need to just be known for being loving, one in spirit, one in mind. You get that big picture down that God is up to something great in your life and in the lives of others. You can relax and then you can love people. You don't have to drive them, push them, agenda them. You can just love them. What if your only agenda was to love the people at work? That was success for you. What if your greatest thing was to love all the neighbors on the block? Be the most considerate, thoughtful, and kind-hearted people. Okay, number two, what kind of attitude should transformed Christians have? Not only considerate, but also humble. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Verse five, who being in the very nature God didn't consider, he didn't consider that something to be grasped. Instead, he made himself nothing. Because scholars say that's the self-emptying of Christ. He actually emptied himself of his independent exercises, of, of his attributes. He let go of so much so he could be the Savior. And, and you know what? Humble people will do that. You'll let go of your identity to help people around you and to treat people with the kind of dignity that, that they deserve and that they need, that they desperately need. Some people, uh, some people mistakenly... I think humility in people is somehow a personality of shyness or quietness. That's not really what humility is. Humble people know who they are and they know the resources that they have. They know their capabilities. But they just don't feel the need to announce it all, all the time. I don't have to talk over. I don't have to win the argument because I know God has this. And maybe, maybe in the midst of this, I'm not going to win them to my argument. Instead, I'm going to win them because of my kindness, my humility of heart. My, my sweet consideration, sweet meekness of heart. And even if I don't, I'm still being Christ to them. That's really the key. Regardless of what they do, I'm still being Christ. So being considerate people, being humble people. Thirdly, being optimistic people. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Verse 10. In heaven, on the earth. And it's as if he's saying, in heaven, on the earth, and if you think there's another place, okay, under the earth, wherever that would be. 
Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. God has this figured out. The solution is already there. And, and the worst week in the world is here with the greatest outcome, and it's our salvation. And we already know the end. The end is at, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So uh, right now, I don't watch college basketball hardly at all. I've watched a few minutes in the whole season until right now. March Madness. Anybody else like that? Now all of a sudden it's March Madness. I'm watching. I don't have a bracket because I can't even spell Gonzaga. I can't. I thought that was a kind of cheese in the fridge. I, I didn't know. But, you know, I, I love watching just minutes, just snippets, you know. But we're busy and we're doing stuff. And these games are in the middle of the day. And then I get in the car and I go, I wonder who won. But I want to see the game. But I don't want to have the radio on because I want to find out who won. But then you find out. And I, I pulled in the drive uh, the other night, and uh, it was coming up to 6 o'clock, and, and uh, Wanda pulled in like five minutes behind me. I, I walk in, I just grab the paper, and I'm just dropping my satchel. I say, hey, how you doing? She, she walks in, she says, oh, there's a game on. Oh, I forgot. She says, yeah, and she tells me this plan. And, and so we kick the game on, we start some dinner, and but then now they're announcing games that have been played during the day when we were at work. And they just give us these scores. So I already know who won. But, you know, I, I'd like to watch that game, or at least the highlights of it. But I can watch the highlights knowing that my team won. I mean, why would I watch the highlights to the team that I know lost, right? I can tell you which one's going to win. Yeah. You know, and I could, I could bet cold money on that, right? If you're a betting person. Why? Because you know who won. You heard it in the car riding home. You heard the scores. So it is, I'm telling you, when you read the Bible, you don't have to argue with people anymore because you know who wins. Amen. And people will say to you, I think uh, God's a fantasy and I think Jesus is somebody that, uh, that was just made up. You say, well, that's okay, you can think that, but you know what? <laughs> Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. I don't know how I know that, I just do. But I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fortune teller, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's just, I, I, but I just know every knee will bow. And so you'll, you'll change your mind on this event. So I don't get worked up. Why? Because I already know. I already know. You're asking me who's winning the NCAA champions. I'll tell you, I don't know. I don't know. Why? Because it hasn't been played yet. I've not seen the TiVo, you know. It's not happened yet. So what can happen here is... We can be very, very optimistic people. See, we can bring out the best in other people, uh, knowing that ultimately the one who is the best is the one who's the hope and the glory in us, Jesus Christ. See, and even that is God-centered in the way you approach life. So we're considerate, we're humble. We are the most, uh, we are the most optimistic people on the face of the earth. Now, what what is society like? Well, it's rude, it's crude, right? It's got, it has foul, inappropriate language. It's arrogant. They think they're better than others. It's trash talking. It's just what society does. Negative, always negative. And, and so here, here's the deal. We're going we're gonna to stop and pray in a little bit. And you know what? I, I throw those three words up there because they're, they're completely the opposite of the considerate, humble, and optimistic kind of mindset that Christ calls us to. And yet you may be saying, oh my gosh, I am so arrogant. I can't even stand to be in the room with me. 
You know, I, I'm just so arrogant. And he said, that's going to be your prayer. Oh, God, knock that out of me, please, I pray. Get it out of me. Now, here's the struggle. The struggle is this. If I don't, if I'm not rude, if I don't cut people off, if I'm not arrogant, if I don't promote myself as better than everybody else, and if I'm not negative, like always trash talking, if I don't do that, I'll never get ahead. And here, that's the real question. And the question is, do you want to get ahead or do you want to be like Jesus? But you can't have both and have that be a conflict. Now, if you want to be like Jesus and then you end up getting ahead, that's great. But to win is to be like Jesus. To have this mind in you that is in Christ Jesus. Have that mindset. When you get that, you've won. You're in the winner's circle. So we're going to pray in, in just a moment. And what we're going to do is we're just going to ask God, right where you're seated, we're just going to pause and ask God, would you do a work in my heart, in my head, that I will be considerate, humble, optimistic, change my heart. I'm going to give you a moment, just your head bowed, your eyes closed, and it may not even be your custom to pray. I'll give you some words. Dear God in heaven, do the work in me. Like the psalmist, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. I want to live to be an encouragement to people. And if I can live like Jesus, that would be wonderful. Would you bring the joy? like-mindedness. I don't have to argue about everything. I, all I need to do is love people. I, give me a, a spirit of oneness in my own mind. Quiet my own heart. Drop the selfish ambition, the conceit, please. All I'm doing is praying Philippians 2. And God, if you would do that, we'd be grateful. Father, for the work that you began in us, may you complete it in Christ, we pray. Amen. So here's the problem. We, we pray for ourselves that we be holy people right before God and loving Jesus and acting like him and, and our minds being transformed to be more like his. But when you go in society and you see so much that's diametrically opposed, I don't know about you, but I want to run from it. Don't you? There are times I want to huddle up and run away. Uh, there are times I, I say to Wanda, I, I can't take it. I want to, particularly when the kids are little, I would want to, you know how a, a bird would pull in their chickadees? I want to pull in the chickadees and I'm going to go to Montana. We're, we're never going to talk to anybody ever again. You hear what the problem is? The problem is you, when you go there, it, you're going to be there and the problem will be there Sorry, but because you're part of the problem. 
It's inside. It's an inside job. Wherever you go, that's where you are. Think about that. So running from it isn't going to work. But what this does tell me is this. Society is so diametrically opposed to the Christian values that what we have to do is we have to realize this is a society we don't run from. This is a society that more than ever needs the Savior and needs really good models of who the Savior, what the Savior is like. And, and we need to be the kind of people who, who are confident in life because we're confident with eternity. And I, so what I want to do now is I just want to take a moment. I want you to pray for a loved one, a relative, a, one of your kids, one of your parents, um, someone close to your family, uh, someone, a neighbor, a coworker, who you know needs Christ and, and doesn't embrace these values. They don't embrace Christ. They're far from the Lord. And maybe it's a coworker who lives on the other side of the state, on the other side of the district. And, and it's not a prayer for anything other than God would you do a work in their life and may they see Christ in me okay you have a couple three people in mind that you'll pray for ready let's go to prayer again would you bow with me Peter, John, come see this. The tomb. 